All right, welcome. Welcome, everyone. This is Judith Lynn um, from sunny, wonderfully beautiful Portland, Oregon. Um, we're in the early summer days here, and I have to say it's really lovely. Um, and I'm really enjoying it very much. <laughs> I'm um, really uh, excited for this call today and um, because I invited three, of three, three friends who are colleagues who have been um, really uh, provided really excellent support for me and my journey with Parkinson's, and I'm really excited to share them with you. Um, we're going to talk about the healing uh, spiritual practices as a, a healing companion, uh, and uh, we'll be having we'll be discussing discussing the subject in general, and then also there'll be times for questions and time for people to to uh, offer your wisdom that you have uh, gained in the in the journey here too. I want to start uh, by by reading one of my favorite poems uh, by Anne Sexton. It's called Welcome Morning. And it, it sort of sums up uh, the, um, the idea of approaching each day from the spiritual self. And in there, there she refers to herself, but I'm going to change the, uh, the, I'm going to change the name to my name because it's appropriate because I'm reading. So here's Welcome Morning by Anne Sexton. There is joy in all, in the hair I brush each morning, in the cannon towel, newly washed, that I rub my body with each morning, in the chapel of eggs I cook each morning, in the outcry from the kettle that heats my coffee each morning, in the spoon and the chair that cry, Hello there, Judith Lynn, each morning. In the godhead of the table that I set my silver plate cup upon each morning, all this is God right here in my pea-green house each morning. And I mean, though I often forget, to give thanks, to faint down by the kitchen table in a prayer of rejoicing as the holy birds at the kitchen window peck into their marriages. While I think of it, let me paint a thank you on my palm for this God, this laughter of the morning, lest it go unspoken. The joy that isn't shared, I've heard, dies young. Welcome Morning by Ann Sexton. All right. So um, today we have uh, my guests. I'm going to introduce them to you all. Um, we have Orly Styles, who has uh, been a mentor for me for many, many years, and uh, he's he's been a, um, a made made really special contributions to uh, the life here um, in the spiritual aspect. She she and her sister had for uh, one of the first spiritual uh, uh, spiritual and personal growth stores called Styles for Relaxation back in the 80s. And um, she's been a spiritual director for more than 20 years. She's familiar with healing and praying practices from many traditions. And in her personal life, she's dealt with deep grief and recovery from several critical health crises. So... Um, She's an expert in the area that we're talking about. <laughs> Spiritual and religious practices have been pivotal in her life, and she practices largely in the greater Portland area and uh, extends outward as she is called. Um, my second guest is um, Sandra Gail Pearson, who has also been a friend of mine for many, many, many years, and she's a minister, counselor, and yoga teacher. And um, she travels between Oregon and Montana and practices uh, largely in those areas as, but, and also extends out, um, as, as she is called. She delights in sharing her joy for life, inviting others to engage their own mystical journey with a sense of wonder, humor, and love. And um, so I'm grateful for Sandra Gale for being here. 
Um, and we also have Avram Sachs. And Avram um, has been a spiritual counselor for the past 12 years. He was um, trained by his spiritual teachers, Eli Jackson, Baron Gungaji, and he supports his clients to open their attention into the silent ocean of being which exists within all of us, and from that stillness to investigate the patterns of mind which cause suffering to ourselves and others. And I, on a personal note, want to say that Avram's work is really profound. It has it had a very deep effect on, on my journey and my navigation of it. He, Avram also participates in his local Jewish renewal community, and he helps to care for a friend who's in the late stages of Alzheimer's. He lives with his wife and dog in Ashland, Oregon. So welcome, Orly, Sandra Gale, and Avram. Thanks for, for being here. Thanks for um, taking time this afternoon to share with us all. So, so the first uh, thing I'd like to do is to, to, to explore what the... What, how we would describe spiritual practice. Um, do it, Orly, do you want to start? Okay. Chris, I'm, <laughs> I'm very glad to be here with all of you and with these other presenters. For me, a spiritual practice is something that expands my boundaries, um, that takes me beyond my body, uh, but yet can be very rooted in my body. That's why I loved your poem, Jewish Lynn. Part of, I think, what makes it something spiritual is taking something very ordinary and moving it into the extraordinary. So mm-hmm. the very practice of thanking a chair for being there, thanking a coffee cup for being there, is taking these ordinary things and elevating them to a place of a place where appreciation can impact you, and just that process of gratitude and appreciation expands. I, I like to think of ourselves as um, being lit up when we are in gratitude and appreciation. So it expands our being, and then uh, as our cells expand, our very presence expands into the world and the ripple effects that go out from that affect people in unseen ways. So spiritual practices can be very grounded in reality like that kind of thing uh, and yet their impact happens in unseen ways just from our essence of being and the way we are with other people. All of you can think about being with a person that you really enjoyed being in the presence of and think about, well, why is that? Why do you enjoy that person? And sometimes it's this unseen element of what goes on inside of them and their own attention to spirit and to the unseen part of the world that really impacts us in the very grounded seen part. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Sandra Gale, do you want to... That was lovely, Orly. Thank you. I believe that a spiritual practice, I feel, sense, and know that a spiritual practice is very simple and ordinary also. It can be as simple as the breath, being able to stay present in any moment with the breath, developing a capacity to be slow to react, to begin to live in in the questions, to cultivate flexibility, to be accountable to my own word, really desire to explore beyond ordinary reality, being willing to see into people the great goodness that lives within them, even in the face of other seeming behavioral extreme, to wander into the place inside of me where I surrender the small I, the small little self, and connect with the sacred unity of all that is. And I begin once again every morning by following my breath. And for me right now, my spiritual practice is 
about gratitude and it is developing the capacity to be grateful not only for the blessings that I see in every moment, but also looking for the blessing in the places where I am challenged. And developing gratitude in those places is my spiritual focus of the moment right now, that I am grateful for everything, not just when things are going my way. (laughs) It's easy when things are going our way, you know, to say, I love life and isn't isn't great to be here and thank you and but when things okay. are, are rough it's it takes some real exploration sometimes to find the happy place, to find something to be grateful for. And that's why that thank you chair. Some days it is just to be able to be grateful that there's a chair to sit in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well said. Avram, you want to weigh in on what is spiritual practice? Sure. So a really simple practice that I share with my clients is just the practice of noticing from a quiet place the arising of of patterns of thought and emotion and body sensation. And that most of us have certain conditioned patterns that we learned in childhood that are basically developed to help us to survive as children in difficult situations. And usually there's some kind of fear and some kind of contraction in the body, and then there's thoughts that are compensating. There's a struggle to try to create what we feel we need to be happier, to avoid what we want to get away from, etc., So the practice is simply to notice those patterns and to realize that they are just a pattern rather than to think of them as as something real. My teacher says that we're all master hypnotists. We're very good at hypnotizing ourselves into believing that we're separate from love, that we're separate from God. So the good news is I've discovered that our default setting is to be open to have an open heart, a quiet mind, a relaxed body is just a natural state of being and that it's everything else that requires all the effort. So the practice is simply to notice the effort and then just be willing to relax, whatever that means. It could be bringing my attention to the breath. It could be having positive thoughts. It could be allowing myself to feel my emotions. But basically the choice that I have is to continue to contract and tighten or to continue to relax and open. And in opening, I can open my attention to what's already here, which is this awareness of being. And this awareness of being is already open. I don't need to do anything to open it. I just need to give it my attention. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll take a moment just to breathe together, all of us. And we're, we are scattered around the world, and um, um, according to what my screen says, I c- can certainly see that we're spread across the coast and up and down, north and south as well. And yet here we are experiencing a connection on a um, teleconference line. So thanks to modern technology, we are able to talk with each other and in a way that we can hear. <laughs> and that's a, a miracle in some way. So we take a moment and just deepen into that connection so that even though we may be sitting alone in our, in our rooms or wherever we are, there... On another level, we are not alone. On another level, we are in connection. And for that, I'm very grateful. Mm. I have a, um, a wondering about whether spiritual practice is different or the or 
similar or how it relates to religious practice. Does anybody want to um, jump in on this one? Uh, this is Orally. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes our sometimes those distinctions are important for some people. Some people have been in religious experiences that have been difficult or damaging for them even. Mm-hmm. And then being able to think about a spiritual practice that's not part of what in their mind is organized religion is a helpful um, a helpful way of going about it. For people who haven't had that kind of damage or experience, I don't think there's much really a great deal of distinction between religious and spiritual practices mm-hmm. in the largest sense of the word. What we're really going for is some kind of practice that allows us to connect with the awe and the sense of connection, just what you were doing, Judith Lynn, by having us all breathe together. Mm-hmm. You know, was what you were doing a religious practice or a spiritual practice, or does it make any difference? Uh, what you were doing was calling us to slow down, to connect with the awe of our all being together, and to take in the breath, taking in the breath as taking in, uh, just as Sandra Gale talked about, taking in the breath and releasing the breath is such a beautiful practice just by itself. Mm-hmm. And I think of how actually we can think about the earth being a terrarium. Every mm-hmm. breath that we've taken in has been breathed by someone else before. <laughs> and every breath we give out becomes available in the pool for people to breathe in. So one way to feel connected with people that you've loved that have passed on, we're still breathing the air that they breathe. Or if you have a favorite religious or spiritual teacher, or Buddha or Muhammad or someone else that means a lot to you, we're breathing the same air that they breathe. And so one practice might be to think as you're breathing in, oh, I'm taking in the air that has been in the body and part of the being of my incredible spiritual leader, guide, a holy one. And that in itself can help us expand, as Avram talked about. How do we expand instead of contracting? So um, all of these things are available to us, whether they're called religious or spiritual. They're all available. Beautiful. In Hawaii, you know, aloha... Ha is the breath, and alo- aloha means we are all of the of one breath. Oh. And the spirit, the 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 linguistic root of um of uh, inspiration, inspiring is bre- is the same as breathing. Mm-hmm. So it's so so I'm that I'm I I'm thinking of those in your commentary. Your commentary is so beautiful. To it's so such a um very real practice of the the breath the air i'm breathing is is the same as the air you're breathing mm-hmm. and as you're talking i i i watch my mind go back to the first breath when breath moved across the face of the planet yeah mm. the first breath that imbued this planet with an atmosphere that breath is still here also yeah. Wow, beautiful. Is that um, something that we would want to really consciously tap into as we're journeying through our, our navigating our way through the journey of, of Parkinson's and um, and uh, Somehow to 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 tap into the um, the, pers- the the understanding that that um, that all is possible within the realm of the of the great breath. I say yes and mm-hmm. yes, please. <laughs> I, if it feels good, when Avram was talking, when Avram was sharing his 
his uh, focus on the spiritual practice, I watched as my body released places that I was holding that I didn't even know I was holding until I was listening to his words. And to be able to be present in the body in such a way whether I, where I can look and go, oh, I'm relaxed in this moment and I can breathe because breath sometimes for many people is a challenge. Many people cannot bring their breath below their clavicle. They, mm-hmm. they breathe to feed the head but not the whole body, not to nourish the whole body. Mm-hmm. And the practice of coming into breath for some people, while it is an unconscious pattern that keeps the body here, to actually invoke a conscious awareness and to build a relationship with breath is a very profound undertaking. And while at the surface it seems like a no-brainer because we automatically do it, to be able to breathe in any moment and feel whether I am in contraction or expansion, available, unavailable, spacious, or limited, those, those objectives become a very big practice. If that was all anyone got out of this, build a relationship with breath, become conscious of the breath, become present in the body, feel your way into what is true for the body today, as well as the heart and the mind, it it would go a long way to developing a really deep practice. You know, um, with Parkinson's, it's common for the the um, muscles in the in the core to 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 sort of uh, diminish in their functionality. So, so the process of deep breathing doesn't it's it it has to become a conscious practice. I think. I'm 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 noticing how my body wants to curl forward, and it, and it's um, I have to consciously consider stacking my um, the upper upper the chest over the belly in in the way that uh, best approximates how I know best breathing is. So things that came naturally to me, especially as a singer before, um, don't come so naturally anymore, and so it's so. As I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm understanding how important a, a developed breath practice, breathing practice would be to um, it, to maintain that. Um, the, and that and that's the foundation of of speaking and and singing certainly. And so um, so for Parkinson's people that are that are noticing their voices getting weaker and not being able to be heard or um, be um, conscious. Be, have it have attention in a circle. Breathing would be useful. And while it is a challenge in the Parkinson's body, the mm-hmm. the. Uh, the difficulties that begin to happen around in the different systems. Mm-hmm. I have worked with a lot of people who cannot bring their breath into their belly, mm-hmm. and they are not considered ill in any way. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is a cultural phenomenon that we don't breathe effectively, mm-hmm. and. I am not limited by Parkinson's in my life and I have to stay conscious with my breathing too and the moment I experience that I'm not present, that the person sitting across from me, is it, it is as if they are, you know, just a bit player in my life because I'm not seeing them, valuing them, hearing them because I'm not doing that. Usually it has to do with the fact that I'm not breathing and allowing myself the depth of the moment to express in me. Yeah. And so, yes, when you're speaking and you're talking about coming into a best practice for you right now, mm-hmm. that was a beautiful description, Judith Lynn. Thanks, Abigail. Um, Orly, do you have any... 
comment you want to make on, on breath and, and lungs? The thing that has come to me right now is the importance of being kind to ourselves. And that is also a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. So I loved what you said, Sandra Gale, about if you only get from this hour the idea that you would be more intentional about your breathing or that you would pay it, that that would be enough. Sometimes I think part of what we need to do is what is enough? You know, and when we're sick and we're below a certain threshold, we often can't use the tools that we know about. Uh, we have to have someone else remind us. So sometimes being that for someone else or asking someone to do it for you, just saying to someone near you, would you remind me to be conscious of my breathing two or three times today? That in itself is a practice. Um, So being kind to yourself, not feeling like you, as Sandra Gale says, those of us without Parkinson's often don't breathe down to our belly. So if, if all you can do is breathe to the clavicles or breathe to your neck or just breathe in your nose to your sinuses, you know, be, be kind. Be kind to yourself. And that in itself, and breathing just that far. Yeah. Uh, but breathing it with consciousness and intention is the practice. Avram? Avram? Yes, I would. Yeah. I would agree with. I would agree with um, the importance of being kind and gentle with ourselves, and I like the concept of willingness rather than trying to pressure ourselves in some way or have an idea that this is a good way to breathe and this is a bad way. Mm-hmm. Just to have a willingness for my breath to deepen, for my breath to open. And to be grateful for each breath as it is, as the starting point. Mm. I think that that's the key to learning gratitude is being willing to be grateful for what's here as it is. If I can be grateful for my breath as it is, I can be grateful for the person sitting across from me as they are. I can be grateful for myself as I am. So for me, the starting point is finding that place where I can just open from a place of acceptance for what is. Another practice that I share with my clients is to just allow myself to be breathed and to Mm. just watch the breath come in and out. We might try that right now if you just... Yeah. This is if you're at the ocean watching the waves coming in and the waves going out, what if the universe is actually breathing you and you're not the one doing it at all? Just to open to what that would be like for a moment. Making no effort to breathe whatsoever. And I discover when I do that that there's this quietness because suddenly I'm not thinking I have to do anything. And when I give up thinking I'm the one that has to do it, I discover, wow, the universe is actually breathing me. It's making the sun come up. It's, it's watering the plants. It's, I'm not the one that has to make it all happen. And there's a, a deep breathing. letting go. There's a deep letting go in that. Yeah. It's part of the and divine that, order. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say that, and then that can be translated into the challenge of Parkinson's. If my body is moving very slowly or if it gets stuck, there can be a tendency to get fearful, to get panicky. But if I can just open to letting myself be breathed, letting myself relax, and then eventually the movement comes again, the thought comes or the, the feeling comes that I'm looking for. Where everybody in this life is learning patience, whatever our different challenge may be, whether it's a physical challenge or a mental or an emotional or relationship challenge, we're definitely learning patience. And our our culture is, we have a strong sense of entitlement that, you know, I'm entitled to these things and then we get angry when we don't have them. And sometimes it's really good to be angry 
when we don't have something. But it's if we're like that all the time, it completely drains our body. It blows out our adrenals. It, we get very exhausted. It, um, the, pe- the people that are part of um, this uh, support group are... Um, this is sponsored by Parkinson's Recovery, so most of us are interested in in the idea of of recovering from the symptoms of Parkinson's. And so, um, it strikes me as uh, I'm I'm sort of sitting here as you are telling sharing this practice with the idea of what happens when we slow down and move into the acceptance. That that means that we are accepting, you know how how do we accept what's going on with the, our bodies? Um, I feel the need to accept it and know that, that it's important to come to a still point on that, so that um, the the arc can the, the navigate the cycle can change, the shift can change, and build upon the the health of that one moment. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, it's a, it's a very, I think it's a challenging walk that we've been offered, <laughs> which uh, because if we go to any of the regular Parkinson's uh, events, uh, the, the conventional wisdom in the Parkinson's community is that we are dealing with a, a condition that is degenerative and incurable. And um, many of us that are part of Parkinson's recovery come from a different understanding of of life and creation and our place in it, and and what the possibilities are. And um, and but because of the condition, we kind of have to have our our one foot in each world and find some way to 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 navigate and and stay centered in the um, the in in our core belief about about our our the possibilities of our journey and i I find that is um uh, can be challenging sometimes I hear you talking Judith Lynn about what seems like a conflict mm-hmm. I mean, okay I'm being told to just accept what is and yet I don't want to just accept what is. I I want to say I can get better. I want to say that I can recover from this. I want to say this isn't the condition I'm always going to be living with. And it feels like saying accept what is is like going with the people who say, oh, this is incurable. There's nothing we can do. Are we just stable or are we going downhill as our choice? Yeah, so it, it, feels, it feels like a conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, the irony is that change seems to only come from a place of accepting what is. <laughs> and yet we can't accept what is to kind of trick change into coming. You know, <laughs> it, it is a... Paradoxical. It is, a, it yeah. is paradoxical. Um, there, there's, a, there's a level at which being in surrender to the universe, in surrender to God, in surrender to the divine, in surrender to our body, that in that very act, which is an opening act, that that becomes the fertile ground from which change can take place. So it, it is living both. It is living acceptance and surrender and being open to the new shoots of growth, the, the, the plant that uh, has been buried in the darkness and yet somehow knows that in that process, time at which it begins to come up through the darkness and see the light and the two little leaves open up and more growth takes place. Beautiful. Wow. I want to um, invite anybody who might have questions that they'd like to ask to um, uh, feel free to to speak up. I'm gonna just we're gonna hold some silence a little bit, 
and and if anybody feels like coming forward, please please do so. Okay. So, um, have so I, I'd like to know from um, Orly or um, San Gil or Avram um, any way that uh, from your personal journey about you could share about how how spiritual practice has affected helped you navigate your your own. Life or or in from your clients, if there's one of my important spiritual practices is creating altars, creating sacred space mm. that I can. I'm a very visual person, so when I can see something beautiful, that helps me relax. That helps me breathe more deeply. So to create a sacred space in my bedroom that I can see from my bed, in my living room that I can see from a favorite chair that I sit in. Um, I have sometimes even created a little tiny altar sacred space in my refrigerator. So when I open the door, I'm reminded to give thanks for the food that's there or even that's not there, that might someday be there. Uh, How would that, what does the refrigerator altar look like? Well, one that I had was just a little plastic container that you put things in, but I put in it, um, I had a little statue of a bunny. Uh, I put in a bunny with a little piece of carrot. Um, (laughs) That just reminded me that bunnies love eating carrots and I love eating what's in the refrigerator. And when I open the door, to have the gratitude for the carrots and quotation marks, that's all of the beautiful. food that's there, that's to have beautiful. gratitude for, for the carrots that are there. Um, so, or it can be sometimes I've just put a beautiful flower in. Flowers for me are an open doorway into the divine. Mm. So having fresh flowers in my life or even built flowers that look uh, so real and adding sometimes real flowers to the silkworm is a beautiful thing for me. So I do like to keep as much as possible fresh flowers in my sacred places because it, they call to me and also I have to attend to them when they wilt away and give thanks to them for being there and let them be composted back into the earth. Mm. So having corners in my house, uh, I find that, that people usually have in their own home uh, things that are important to them because they've already intuitively selected them. So sometimes it can start with just looking around your house to see what you have that means something to you that you would like to put together in a new arrangement. And a new arrangement calls your attention to it. If you change something that's been on a bedside table or that's on your dresser top or that's above your TV, uh, any place that you're looking at things, but you change it, that brings you more attentive to it. And if it's something that's beautiful or something that you feel opens your heart, sometimes pictures of a child or a pet or family members that you especially love can open your heart. And just being in that open space, then you have more room for also loving yourself. Um, you know, since... Um, uh, in, in, the, in our women's spiritual group, we've been... Uh, have, having the angels come and visit various ones of us for, for segments of time, and uh, in the past, in past years, when when I received chain letters or different sorts of things where they've asked people to uh, if they want to participate, I just always I felt no. But this time, it, I I felt a whole body yes, and I found what happened um, for me. I I set up a little altar to the angels, and um, or it's an altar to, to to spirit or to God with the angels surrounding the light and and uh, I found that it became an important 
way to start the morning to go and light the candles and to ring my little bell, my Tibetan my Tibetan bell, and um, and to to uh, give thanks for the help from the other realms and uh, thanks to my ancestors for the gift of life and the gift of being present here and to open up to the moment. And it took me, it, it takes 30 seconds maybe to do that. It's not, it's very small amount of time and yet it seems to make a, um, a significant shift, a frequency shift in the, in the way the day starts if I remember to do that. Mhm. Mhm. And um, beautiful. Yeah, I think that, that may be one of the greatest. Well, I've, there have been a number of gifts that I um, experienced with having the angels come to visit. It's a. Um, it's a. It's a sort of a, a spiritual practice that that's been circulating for a number of years, where the you invite the angels in as a particular. Um, there's a, a protocol for it, and. You you follow the protocol and invite the angels in, and they're with you for five nights and to uh, help you with your prayers. And then you release them after the fifth night and send them to their rest, where they're going to rest for five five nights before they go to the next the next um, their next assignment. So if anybody's interested, you can email me about it, and I'll be happy to tell you more. But it, it turned out to be really meaningful practice for me. Do um, Sandra Gale, is there anything that you find helpful in your uh, life with uh, a spiritual practice you'd like to share? I I do have a I have a couple of ideas that have been very helpful to me, and I revisit them regularly. I utilized these two practices to alter my relationship with people in the world, and the first one was a practice outlined in a book called A Complaint-Free Life. Mm. And in that practice, what I was called to do was to go 30 days without complaint and to continue so if on day one I had a complaint that I started over the next day, if on day 29 I had a complaint I started over at day one the next day, what this allowed me to do was to retrain my mind to begin to look at the world with possibility and not through a lens that there is something wrong or broken. It was an act of uh, deep acceptance. And I got to really, I got to really see how much of my time and energy I was in resistance to what is, because a complaint is about being resistant to what is. And the second thing was something I learned from Charles Fillmore, who is the founder of Unity, and he had a practice every night when he fell asleep, before he'd fall asleep. He'd go through his day and revisit everywhere he'd been, who he'd talked to, and recognizing whether or not he had left any part of himself in an unfinished interaction, if there was anything that he had done that he needed to untie his energy from, if he had practiced kindness, loving kindness throughout his day. And that practice has served me off and on with great revelation. And it has really helped in a lot of ways to encourage me to not add any more psychological pain to my life. Wow. Great. Avram? Well, I'd like to uh, speak to the practice of welcoming what's here because sometimes what's here is a lot of pain. Sometimes what's here is a disease like Parkinson's. And sometimes what's here is a really deep despair. And I would have to say in my life, the thing that I avoided more than anything else was despair. My life was always about uh, 
seeking things that were joyful and happy and fun and it's very wonderful to do that but when there's when we're avoiding what's here then we can't be fully present and the problem with not being fully present is we miss out on the natural intelligence that lives within our body and within our souls that can guide us and then we feel more cut off and then we we get even more frantic in our search so for me the discovery was i had to be willing to meet my despair and in meeting my despair i discovered i was also had to face my fear of death I had to face my fear of dying my fear of being sick my fear of being in pain because to a certain extent my whole life was about avoiding that wow and we have to face that alone you know it, we can have friends and we can have support but at some point it, when we face that despair we feel very very alone so there is a leap there this we don't know what's going to happen when we fall into despair we don't know if we're ever going to come out of it and so in that that might be a difference between spiritual practice and religious practice because most religious practice is about having hope it's about you know finding the angels and finding god and finding the light mhm so the problem is if i'm always looking for the light then i'm the one who's in the dark mhm and in my willingness to just fall into the darkness i discovered the light of my own being but i had to discover that for myself in my own way it couldn't come couldn't come when i wanted it to come i couldn't just say okay i'm going to face despair now <laughs> despair comes and takes us and it's just a question of whether we're we're ready but in that willingness to face despair i discovered the peace of giving up all effort and then the intelligence that can guide my life i think i really like what bernie sanders says in love <laughs> love medicine and miracles that the people that he found recovered had the greatest recovery from cancer were the people who followed their own heart they went to the doctors they felt were right for them they did the 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 healing practices that they felt were right for them they did didn't do what the doctor said and and they didn't just be good patients they argued with their doctors they fought with their doctors so i would say that that's that's the solution to this contradiction between accepting what is and and really wanting to get better is that mm-hmm. i access a deeper intelligence that can guide me in my healing Mm-hmm. a deeper intelligence that can help me to find the things like you do Judith this amazing chanting work that you do it's mm-hmm. going to be right for one person and not right for another mhm how am i going to know what's right for me and ultimately it takes us back to the breath the the being breathed being breathed by the by the um divine creator yeah well also being aware of in my exhale i'm letting go in my inhale i'm receiving mhm and noticing where where i give the greater emphasis some of us are really good inhalers and we don't exhale very well some of us are really good exhalers and we don't inhale very well so that that can be a reflection of how we are in life some of us it's really easy to give and we don't receive very well and some mm-hmm. of us are the reverse so it really is a good check in on my relationship with giving and receiving mm-hmm. i discovered one day in preparing a sermon when i thought about swearing swearing mm. and i realized that when we we swear in that moment that we're swearing we are confessing admitting being aware of touching and that we are not in control 
<laughs> so it's interesting how when we use the phrase, oh, my God, how that phrase is used for both phenomenally good things that happen to us that we judge as very good or phenomenally terrible things that happen. It's so interesting that it's the same phrase. It has a huge range of what we apply it to. But if you think about it, when you swear, you're saying things are out of control. Things are not, I'm not in charge. And in that moment, you have one of those moments of meeting despair, for example, or (laughs) of realizing that you're not really in charge. And in that realization, you can go, as Avram said, to a deeper place of um, that there is an intelligence beyond ours that we tap into. And I love the title that you gave this hour, Judith Lynn, The mm-hmm. Healing Medicine of Spiritual Practice. Mm-hmm. I think the very idea of seeing spiritual practice as a medicine can open us to the idea. We, we're willing to, and friends that I have been with and myself, I'm willing to take drugs. I'm willing to take what I consider medicine. I want to take in a pill to handle things. That's what we do in the West. We, we, we have pills to help out. So we take those. So we're taking something external to help us inside. A spiritual or religious practice can also be seen like a medicine that we take into our being to help us make shifts, to help support the intelligent awareness in ourselves of what is needed to be done to be working in good order. Um, so if we if we see that we're willing to take medicine from a doctor, then we can also be willing to breathe, take in a breath as part of that medicine for Mm. ourselves, or take in a spiritual practice that opens us when we are tempted to just contract. So being aware that even swearing can be a spiritual practice, and we just bring (laughs) that little bit of awareness for the fact that that is a moment of giving up control. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Orly. So um, we have a couple minutes, uh, just a few minutes left, and if anybody has anything that they'd like to ask or say, uh, uh, please please step forward now. Okay, so um, is, is there, what have we not touched on here? Um, <laughs> it's been such a, um, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it's been a pleasure for me to um, have the three of you, uh, my guests, be my guests today, and and to, um, to, uh, to, to have you all in one place in the same conversation rather than the one that goes on in my mind. So <laughs> thank you for, for for coming. Is there anything that you'd like to say um, to sort of sum up your uh, what we've been talking about today in the last few minutes? Whoever wants well, maybe, maybe it's obvious, but we didn't really talk about what healing is and Ah, well, so healing. Or sometimes we think of healing as getting better, and then if we don't get better, we think we didn't get healed. Uh-huh. But I think what we've been pointing to today is the healing that comes from opening into the wholeness of our being. You know, clearly there's different parts of myself psychologically, and there's different body parts and different emotions, and yet somehow healing is this experience of being whole. So when there's a wound, there's a ripping apart, and we put a Band-Aid on the wound to just bring it back together. And so somehow this opening that we're talking about gives us this experience of being a whole being. And in that, I think there's profound healing. Whatever happens with the body, the body may or may not get better, quote-unquote. But 
there is, I think it's just important to mention that there is healing in just the opening to the energetic reality of my being, of who I, who I am deeper than my body. That's really and, an excellent point. Yeah. I, I've noticed that too that in my um, working with clients that it, it has to do with the soul's journey, not and so there's some something to do with the recognition that that there's that there's a soul that's on a journey, <laughs> and and our experience here um, is is maybe a um, it's it's a it's a, a moments in time or years in time that are um, connected with something that's a great a greater soul's journey. Um, so. That that seems like that's a, um, uh, it, it's an, an important thing to, to address that it that healing from that perspective healing um, on the soul's journey that there may be a shift that happens because of the the experience of the the disease that you've got. So mm-hmm. when somebody asks me why why did you get Parkinson's, um, I have to. I have to look not just on on the physical level, but also on the, the greater level. Um, what what is my soul's journey, and maybe my soul needed to have this experience for the for the greater balance of 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 the um, overall journey. So, um, and then I find healing happens on a whole lot of levels. Sometimes when somebody is um, sick, the, um, the 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 change. The, the the fact that they can no longer participate in the family circle in the same way shifts the balance so that others have to come forward where the uh, where one was taking up um was, was they have to come over to they have to the others have to come forward to to um and things get rebalanced basically so ones who've been giving learn how to receive ones who've been receiving learn how to give it's um and that's all part of the greater healing that can happen from going through the journey with something um, like Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. Orly, do you want to speak into what? Well, I, I'm thinking about being asked to pray for someone, and one example would be someone in hospice who we assume in the ordinary realm is going to be leaving their body. Do, do you pray for them to get well, that we sometimes assume that they'll, means they'll keep their body or do we just say, okay, take it? We really don't need to make that decision. We don't need to be in charge of that. So one thing that I do is pray that people will have the strength for their journey. Yeah. And you talked, Judith Lynn, about your soul being on a journey. We, we don't have all of that in our consciousness. We might mm-hmm. have it in our deeper wisdom, but it's not in our active consciousness. So if we can pray for ourselves and for others that they have strength or clarity or that they so that we're not we're not trying to determine what their journey should be, but we're just asking that they have assistance on that journey. That to me is a way of being in support, thinking that I will determine what the outcome Beautiful. should be. Yeah, excellent. Sandra Gale? I I resonate with the idea that every moment is homeopathic. Uh-huh. Every experience that's in front of me is homeopathic. And it is simply an opportunity to see my life reflected back to me. And if I am enjoying it, what I see, embrace it. If I'm not enjoying it, what I see, accept that and utilize it as a as medicine. Each moment can be medicine for us. Beautiful. Thank you so much. If um, uh, anyone would like to reach any one of you, uh, Sandra Gill, can you give your contact info? SandraGill.com, G-A-I-L, SandraGill.com. Okay, great. And orally? <laughs> I would be orally.styles at gmail.com. Thank you. And Avram? Uh, just my name at gmail, Avram Sachs, S-A-C-K-S, so A-V-R-A-M. 
S-A-C-K-S, at gmail.com. But I'm right. assuming also they could, they could contact you, right, Judith? Yes, yeah, you're all welcome to contact me. And I'm Judith Lynn. Uh, well, par- probably the best way to go is go to partneringwithparkinsons.com, partnering with Parkinson's. Um, with uh, dot com and you can get my contact info there and email me or you're welcome to call 503-858-3004 503-858-3004 so again I want to thank um, my my dear friends Oralee and Sandra Gale and Avram um, I, my heart is overflowing with gratitude for you and three in my life and thank you so much for coming and sharing your uh, wisdom with uh, my friends in Parkinson's recovery and I want to thank Robert Rogers who's the uh, inspiration at the head of the Parkinson's recovery uh, organization and and, um, and to all of you to, who've come to spend time with us today and to those of you who will listen to this recording in the future I wish you blessings on your journey of wellness and grace and courage and love. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Aloha. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.